Hi, and welcome to Decoding AQ, helping you to learn the tools, mindsets, and actions to thrive in an ever-changing world. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Decoding AQ. I have with me today a very special guest. I have Marva Sadler. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so delighted to be here. So you describe a personal mission to have a positive impact on others by helping them reach their full potential. And that just made my heart sing of alignment. So um, that was great to read. Well, thank you. Um, can I tell you a little story about that? Please, yeah. I, I realized that that was my mission. I spent about 10 years as a strategy consultant in a couple of the big strategy consulting uh, organizations in their heyday. And um, I found myself during the recession of the 80s, spending a lot of time downsizing people. You know, our analysis would lead to layoffs of hundreds and thousands of people. And after several years of that, of that the primary thing we were doing as strategists was cost reduction. And the primary thing we were doing for cost reduction was people headcount reduction. I just, I came to the conclusion that there had to be a different way to live my life, that that just didn't feel like it was going to be fulfilling long-term to be able to say, I made shareholders a lot more money by taking the food out of the mouths of families. I, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I originally thought that I would go back to school and get my PhD and devote myself to teaching. And I found I was much too pragmatic to get a PhD by that point. Um, and so I found my way into other professional services and leadership, leadership and it, uh, at that level and realized that there was so much potential to find the way to unlock people's creativity and help them achieve more than they thought possible, which then created value for the organization so that I didn't have to do layoffs. Yeah. And so I really became a specialist in how as an executive, do I find the ways to help the team create the, the overall impact that leads to stability for their employment and growth for the organization so that our performance is based on team and culture and growth and innovation instead of you know, cost reduction. Cost reduction. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I have spent the rest of my career devoted to that. Devoted to that. It's interesting, isn't it? These moments in our lives that shape our thinking, shape our behaviors and our careers. And I bet just listening to that, that kind of first experience in, you know, Bain & Co and the consultancies of, ah, let's cut, 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 to then, you know, a phase and chapter in your life of working on turnarounds, you know, doing the opposite, you know, from 120 year old blanket manufacturing firms to commercial fitness manufacturers, this sort of shift, as you say, to find creativity, innovation, sustainability. And now, you find yourself as a CEO of an incredible organization, the World Business Executive Coaching Summit. So tell us a little bit more about that journey and uh, perhaps how you got introduced to uh, the World Business Executive Coaching Summit. Well, the, the journey, as you've mentioned, looks a little, if you put it on paper, um, 
it looks a little bit like career ADD because I've been, I've worked in probably 15 different, very different industries from heavy manufacturing to um, historic woolen mill to car dealerships. And I've worked in, in finance and operations and as a CEO. And the consistent theme throughout all of that is I never met a challenge I didn't like. I never met an opportunity to learn that I didn't want to take. And so that's really how I got introduced to WBEX. I was the CEO of a tech strategy consulting firm. We had about a hundred technology consultants around the country that very high end who had specialties in architecture and agile and user experience uh, that we would um, put onto transformational projects, primarily for healthcare companies, where our consultants would merge with their IT departments, their tech departments to create you know, whole new um, applications and systems and so forth. And I was having a wonderful time. We doubled revenue. We'd significantly increased profit. Uh, we were growing at about 40% a year. And I was teaching these engineers essentially how to be consultants, which is very different. And um, my coach who happened to be a WBAC CIQ certified coach called me one day and she said, Marva, I have a job description in my hands that is the job you've been preparing for for 20 years. And she'd known me for 20 years because she and I had worked together at Franklin Covey. Wow. Mm -hmm. And, and she's, I said, no, really, I'm fine. I'm happy where I am. I'm really enjoying it. I have equity. I'm good. And she said, Marva, I've known you a long time. You need to look at this job description. And she was right. And, and I looked at it and really thought about it and thought, I'm at a point in my career where I really want to do um, interesting, the Franklin Covey thing. It's time to leave a legacy. What is the legacy that I want to leave? And I, the legacy I chose was that I thought there was no more effective thing in the world that could be done than to find a way to help people have civil discourse with one another. Our political leaders nice are incapable. <laughs> our, our political leaders are incapable of teaching others civil discourse because they don't do it themselves. Our religious leaders no longer have the influence to be able to to spread that. And you know, my kind of internal analysis was the best opportunity we had was through was through leaders of for-profit organizations who could be convinced that it was in their self-interest that civil discourse led to better outcomes and that the best people to help those leaders learn that was, um, was coaches. And so that's how I ended up here because if I could get just, you know, 10% of the people in the world who have been impacted in the last few years to, to be so negative, to change their mindset and become more inclusive and more, thoughtful and intentional about the way they converse with others, I would feel like I had done something valuable. Yeah. yeah. And it is that opportunity to recognize the network and ripple effect. And, you know, perhaps a number of decades ago, the focus was on management and that was the answer to most things. 
and yes. we were about productivity, efficiency, you know, lean, maximizing margin. And we're shifting into this era of where we're recognizing the value of coaching. You know, the domain of coaching in business that might have been just at the very top exec level is now starting to ripple down and starting to realize its effect on everyone to be able to have some form of coach, how they might show up. And, you know, it was interesting when I was reading a little bit of background and, you know, W. Bex was named as the fastest, fastest growing education company in the UK a number of years mm -hmm. ago. And I thought that's really interesting because education really is ripe for transformation in all areas. You know, it's, oh, it's a tick box. We've got to do that thing, CPD, or we've got to do this bit. But shouldn't we enjoy it? As you said, I have never yes. met a challenge that I didn't want to learn from. Not everyone's built like that, though, are they? So how, how has it shaped you from that moment when you were handed the, C, you know, the job description and now, you know, a number of years later, uh, tell us some of the highlights that have happened during that period. Well, I would say that my favorite highlight, big picture, is that we have come through the majority of the pandemic, let's say, you know, 2020, where as an organization, we grew 50%. We significantly increased the number of coaches that we were serving. We put on some of our most successful, most meaningful coach education programs ever to the largest audiences, uh, to, by the way, the highest satisfaction scores, the highest content evaluation scores, and the highest graduation rates. And, I, and it's really not just because people have nothing else to do or that they're sitting at home. It's that we really have focused on making sure that the participant experience was very high quality and that um, whenever there were meaningful, constructive comments that of things that we could do better, that we've figured out a way to do it. And of all of that, my favorite part is that the team is significantly more productive and we have kept every member of the team we've wow. um yeah. and we've managed to protect the entire organization and um really and and not just protect them as workers we have protected them as people as human beings so you know we're an entirely virtual organization we have about 80 people in 16 or 17 different countries, everyone works all by themselves. And this last year was terribly isolating for people. Yeah. And so we started some things like, um, whenever we got word that someone was, had caught COVID or was ill or was struggling with something, you know, they would get a care package. And the care package was always uniquely targeted specifically to them. I can tell you we had one epic failure where um, one of our one of our team members has a young daughter and she was trying to work from home and educate her daughter from home and the daughter had been very ill and was just starting to feel well enough to work to do things but not really um, use a lot of energy we sent an art kit so that so that this little girl could have something to do that she would find creative and entertaining that 
wouldn't take a huge amount of energy, but would relieve her mother from some of the pressure. And in that art kit, it turned out was glitter. And while her mother was not watching, she managed to spread glitter all over the house. <laughs> so, you know, that was, that was maybe on second thought, not what we should have put in the kit, but the idea that it was an art kit that, that was really intended specifically to meet the need of the individual so that that individual knew we weren't just sending out a generic kit or, you know, gift. We were sending out a very highly targeted and personalized care package to say, we see you, we hear you, we're trying to help you. And I think that from a personal point of view, that's probably the thing that I feel best about is the way that we've handled that. And the opportunity for us to be our best selves often happens in moments of a burning platform, of a crisis, you know, that we can show up to show our true values when it's hard. That's when it counts. It's not showing up when it's easy, when it's in flow. It's showing up when your chips are down, when things are tough. And it, it covers a really interesting point for me that I'd love your thoughts on about the, what you just described there, this power of personalization, of mm -hmm. going, I see you, I hear you, I've listened, and I'm giving something that I've put some thought and care about to help you be the future version of yourself, the future, mm -hmm. you know, the, the growth, the, the potential. One of the challenges we see a lot in organizations that are, you know, going through change, which is just about every organization, whether that's been Absolutely. brought about from technology to desire to the pandemic, is how do you scale personalization when it comes to coaching? Um, that's, you know, one of these big challenges of, of how do you reach people at that individual soul level to help them on their journey um, without it becoming a vanilla program or a program that's, you know, not built for, you know, the edges. What's been your experience in that? And perhaps you can share some insights on where it's done well or it's not or, or those things. I'm fascinated by that. Well, I'll start with, I'll start with kind of how do you scale coach education Super. and maintain yeah. the personalization because mm. I'm not actually qualified to talk a lot about how to scale coaching. Um, but I can talk to you about what I believe are some of the things that we'll be investing in, in the near future. Uh, but in terms of scaling coach education, we try to achieve a mix of the large scale um, broadcast, if you will, uh, content where everyone is hearing the same thing. And we mix that up with very personalized small group dyad and triad kinds of things where individuals are applying it, they're practicing with each other, they're learning from each other. And that experiential piece is a very big part of every program that we run. And we are constantly looking at how do we refine that? How do we grow that piece? Um, there's obviously from the association's point of view that we also include a certain amount of reading and reflection where the individuals are working on themselves. But the experiential piece with other coaches is critical to your, to your long-term impact because coaching is generally speaking a pretty solitary effort. 
even though you've got clients that you're working with, most of your time is spent as a solopreneur working on your own. Uh, the relationship with clients is a professional relationship, so it's it's never going to get hugely intimate or familiar. And and coaches are by nature gregarious. They want to get together. They want to share. They want to help each other. So we're constantly looking at how do we fine tune and improve that engagement element. And then how do we make it simpler and frankly, take a lot of the, the setup element out of it and make it easier for them to engage. And, and that is the, that's the scale thing that I think really translates into coaching as well. You know, if we think about all the things that coaches do, there's only a small portion of it. That's the actual coaching. There's preparation for coaching. There's marketing of the coaching. There's running my business. There's keeping track of my expenses. There's, you know, all of those things. There's yeah. scheduling all the, the meetings. Noise. And yeah. All the noise. And, yeah. and the noise is frankly, sometimes as much as 80% of the actual work mm-hmm. effort. If we can systemize, automate, simplify, streamline all of that noise to reduce it and make it much easier to do and give coaches more time to truly be more time and energy to truly be present, to truly engage and then find a simple way for them to follow through um, so that the, the coaching notes, the, all of those things are also really easy to access and really easy to share. Uh, Then we can help individual coaches scale and we can help scale coaching. because it can become more cost effective. We also can look at, you know, are there mechanisms, software systems that help individual coaches coach kind of one to many Mm -hmm. or one or one to several, at least in some kind of streamlined process so that the core coaching is still very personalized but the other things that the individual clients also have to do, because, you know, maybe 40% of coaching for the client is the actual coaching. And the rest of it is, did I prepare? Did I yep. follow through? You I know, all of work? that. Yep. So, so can we streamline that, mm-hmm. all of that, so that the, it's very easy for the coach to help the client follow through on that, so that the coaching element of it becomes a significantly greater portion, not necessarily more time, but a higher proportion of the effort and becomes more in-depth and meaningful in the period so that it can be more impactful because I can streamline the way that I then implement it in my life. Yeah. And I think it's this balance, isn't it, between the description of taking this noise and how can we streamline automate so we you know we optimize we automate we might outsource certain things so that we can be as present as connected to our authentic self to our unique ability that we can then deliver to the world and that's one way of of scaling and reaching i think one of the challenges that that many might see is that technology then limiting the ability to have relationship to have connection and it should augment it and increase it so where you know little things like just remembering ah this person's got a daughter this one's at this all these little things are triggers that technology can help us to show up 
with that care and love because we can't keep it all in our brains, you know, these things. So that's been there for a while in this sort of CRM and, you know, customer relationship kind of software. But the what I really, you know, find challenging is the fact of coaching is very adaptive by nature because you can have a program and a set process, but it's as much about the listening and the feedback rather than, okay, I've got my five questions, uh, right? You've said an answer to number two, I'm going on to number three. It doesn't work like that as a human. You know, we'll listen and we'll come up with a new question we might never even ask before, just because of what's gone on and what's happened in that. And that kind of ability that is currently a very human domain, as you mentioned, you iterate countless you've got great feedback loops you constantly work with the programs to improve them you listen and you roll out the next coaching is very similar you know you'll you'll start the conversation you'll have a goal but you'll you'll the how and the paths meander and that's part of the beauty of life of, of being human and um it, it's interesting because we're working on an ai coach so digitizing some of that knowledge to augment coaches. So where they're stuck in this challenge of from the next gig to next hours, how do I build recurring income rather than just, okay, I've got, you know, uh, longer term gigs, but it's still my time and my knowledge that I'm spending. How can I support them that they've almost got a virtual me? If I can give some of my information to it and some people are working on this, you know, Tony Robbins or Peter or various people even, Deepak Chopra has digitized themselves to a AI oh. version. It's not going to be the same, but it might be better than just a, here's a video of them or here's their e-course. And so I'm interested in it if you've had any experience in that area that seems to be quite pioneering and converging where the technology makes this possible. Well, we have a very, we have a very uh, strong and loving relationship with Marshall Goldsmith and the MG100. And Marshall is actually going through that process yeah, is, yeah. of creating an AI version of himself. Uh, I believe that we are all going to need to embrace AI mm -hmm. and, and also recognize its value, its purpose, and its limitations. I believe that it would be easy for us to accept that AI will just um, take over and substitute or replace. But the human connection, the eye to eye connection that we make, where we feel the other person's intent, I don't believe is going to be replaced by AI. I do believe, you know, back Oh goodness, back many more years ago than I would like to admit, I was, I was working as an executive in the training industry, as an executive of Achieve Global and then later Franklin Covey, both of which are you know, considered global training industry giants. And um, even then we were talking about the fact that just in time, just for me, mm -hmm. that, you know, the ability to cut up our training into tiny little bite-sized pieces yeah, where you could search for it. And yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, that, that, that was going to be the future of training, which is essentially kind of early stages of AI. Yeah. yeah. And so, yes, the, I think that there's a great deal that can be done and I can believe that AI will help us scale. But I also believe that the, 
that the human element of it, the ability to then hold a person accountable because of the relationship and because of the understanding, not just the algorithm and the leaps that I truly believe only a human brain can make because they can see something from over here and over there that has not yet been, yeah, that's not yet been programmed into the algorithm and can see that there's potential for that. I, I believe that that's where the coach will add value. And so I hope that what we'll see will be a combination of the use of AI and live coaching where maybe the live coaching sessions are 15 minutes long. Yeah. And they're focused on the absolutely most essential issues once those of, you know, the AI has helped sort those out. Yeah. Uh, we're actually in conversations with um, some coaching, new coach education institutions talking about, you know, can we find a way to uh, introduce new coach education that would, from the beginning, introduce AI into the curriculum Mm-hmm. So that those coaches are educated in a way that's very different than is being done today. So we're not bolting on the AI, but instead we're integrating the AI into From the process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's interesting, you know, from, from my opinion, all technology is inert until we give it a purpose, you know, yes. and this uh, decisions and relationship that we have with it is one of mindset and perspective. No, is it to come and eat us and take over or is it there to augment and improve? You know, in certain areas, I could foresee a future where it will be malpractice in certain healthcare areas not to have AI involved in decisions, you know, mm-hmm. because it's not going to have suffered poor sleep, overwork, you know, stress, bad day, miss something. So in certain areas, it is absolutely imperative and almost a, you know, uh, a huge mistake not to use. And in other areas, it's the reverse and opposite. And so it's making these choices is still humans of where do we use it? And we're going to get a lot wrong along the way. And for me, one of the, the, the challenges with this is, you know, it's not a computer game where you can go start over, <laughs> you know, and we have this effect of trauma that shapes ourselves and our work. You know, we started off our conversation where you realized your purpose and your passion from some trauma, from, you know, cutting people's, you know, jobs and food on their Mm -hmm. table. And that has helped shape who you are and how you think and the beautiful energy you bring to a care package to one of your team. Now, for all of us that are facing at the moment, this challenge of, Our roles are changing, work is changing, careers are shifting, and this movement of reskilling, of innovation, for some is exciting, for some is incredibly fearful. And the immune system comes up and wants to protect what they currently have. Have you seen any areas or things that have worked really well that help people deal with those difficult moments, those changes that they might not want to have but need to go through? What sort of skills or what sort of things have been implemented that you've seen that have helped people go through change well? Well, there's, you know, there's a lot of coaches who focus really heavily on neuroscience and on, you know, all of the elements that are going on in your body and how to to rethink them. Uh, Generally speaking, I think coaching is one of those defense mechanisms we can use 
to help us see change in a different light because it's very, very difficult. Most of us are not very self-aware and we get stuck in our own, you know, tapes or loops. And it's very difficult to change the narrative ourselves. But having a trusted colleague or coach or mentor who can help us and who is actually educated in being able to help us reframe and adjust, I believe is one of the keys to coaching. Yeah. Uh, but I also think, you know, that there are, there are things that we can do ourselves. Um, you know, I read a lot about that. Uh, I told you earlier before we turned on the tape that I was in a car accident yeah. a couple of years ago and, and ended up with a concussion. And that can really change your ability to be adaptive. And you've got to get that all back. And then just as I was recovering from the concussion, I came down with COVID. And so I got the combination of COVID and concussion, and it really messed with wow. my brain. And so I've spent a lot of time personally really trying to understand what does that journey look like? How, I, you know, my, my natural tendency at that point with what was essentially a broken brain that had been then infested with a virus, my natural tendency was to avoid all change and see everything as, as frightening. And it's been an interesting journey, one that I very much, you know, think is relevant to other people around mm. um, learning to relax, learning to be much more uh, intentional, learning to meditate. Uh, it probably wouldn't surprise you to think, to hear that I am a person who is incredibly um, determined and persistent and, mm -hmm. you know, put my head down and work very hard. And I had to completely change my approach that working harder, working more, working faster or longer is not the answer to adapting to change. Mm -hmm. In fact, the, the best answer that I can come up with is that you need to back off, take a deep breath and just relax and just watch it flow past you and decide how do I want to get into that flow? Yeah, it's perspective is an interesting thing isn't it and sometimes something that happens to us is actually for us it's a gift mm. that uh, you mentioned Marshall Goldsmith you know what got us here won't get us there that yes. ability to be able to reflect and say thank you I appreciate the way I was but I'm now going to be this I'm going to approach things in this way and and try it out experiment with those new things and you know when we're in high pressure roles and the high pressure role is contextual to that individual you know mm -hmm. because they believe they're accountable to themselves to their future to their family it's not just whether it starts with a c at the title or these various things is that a high pressure is contextual to the person so we can all suffer from that stress or pressure or overwhelm and i i thank you for bringing this up because it's such an important factor of change is this human element of the stress it takes, the energy it takes to do it. And if we're changing on a you know, basis that isn't every single day or every week, if it's maybe over a few years or maybe even generations that something really shifts, we've got time to rejuvenate. I think what we're faced with now is just this relentlessness of pace of shift. Just as soon as you think you're stable and take a step somewhere else, you step onto a, you know, a running 
travelator that's going at level 10 already, you know, and you fall in a different direction, in a different direction, in, in a yeah. different direction. And you now yeah. find yourself with one foot on one thing and one foot yes. in the other, and it's yeah. pulling you in different it's directions. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So in terms of you then shifting from this mindset of reward, applause and result comes from hard work and persistence mm -hmm. to, I need to rejuvenate, stand back, reflect and be deliberate is now your new playbook. Um, mm -hmm. How's that affected your thinking across your team, your wake, you know, has that shifted team or is, do you think this is more about you and your journey? How do you think that's uh, affected? Oh, it has, it has absolutely shifted team. And one of the things that we're focusing on is giving the team members permission to say, I'm having a bad day because mm -hmm. um, we now have been going through this for a year yeah. And it's almost impossible not to have a bad day once in a while. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have in our team meetings, different department meetings, we take a few minutes and we let every team member to just say, here's what's going on with me. And whatever it is that's going on with them, it's not cheerleader time. It's no. not, you know, it's not accountability time. It's just, listen. it's just, and so... I was part of a team meeting this morning where one of the team members said, I'm feeling a little down. And when I feel down, I don't really want to communicate. And so the answer was, okay, we're here if you need us. Because for many of these people, we're really their only outside connection right now. Mm -hmm. And so we work to try to celebrate the positive, but we also try to acknowledge when someone's just having a hard time or something didn't succeed, it's okay. Yeah. And, um, and what that does again, is it, it's like flipped a switch and unlocked additional creativity that comes from, it's safe to tell someone that I didn't have a success. Let's take a look at it and see what we can do about it. Um, yeah. Which is so much easier to admit that you didn't have a success if you know that you're not gonna get screamed at about it. Yeah. Well, you, you're describing a, um, an environmental factor that accelerates adaptability, this psychological safety to, exactly. to do that without judgment allows for adaption. And that is, you know, wonderful to hear and to foster that isn't easy, but it is something that accumulates and becomes a snowball. Because as soon as you sort of foster that acceptability that mm -hmm. you, someone can do that, it gives then permission to others to be able to do it. And it's equally, you know, a practice that we have at AQAI is every single uh, meeting and session that we start as a team is we have a positive focus. So we, we mm -hmm. look for and try and find those positive things so that we're training our brains to find the positive. And it's something Dan Sullivan, my coach, talks about the gap and the gain. So we, when we look at and do a reflection, and look at our list of 10 things. Are we focused on the five that we didn't do and we live in the gap? Or are we focused on the five that we did do and we live in the gain? I.e., there was five things that, you know, when I started the day aren't done that are now done. Because most of us, in my experience, you know, look at the five that I haven't done and give ourselves a hard time. <laughs> and it, just rewiring those. So it's not about sticking our heads in the sand in either side. It is about balance. 
But for me, that, you know, programming our neural net, our mindset, our decision making that, you know, sharing a bad day is okay. That programs our mindset sharing a celebration that this happened here or that we killed that idea quickly. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that's a, the type of celebration. I want to, um, just in the final bits, uh, narrow in on a couple of, couple of things. So you must see a lot of things in this world of work and coaching of new ideas, new programs, new phases of what the next important area to focus on is and fill in the blank. Of course, with our focus about adaptability, yes, our lane at the moment is work. And that's where we're absolutely focused on. It can apply from, you know, recovering from an accident in health, from mm -hmm. our lives of was married, now divorced, didn't have a family, now got family. All of these things, we require our adaptability skills, but let's keep it in the lane of work. From your experience, because you kindly took our uh, AQAI assessment, what was your experience of that? And what sort of insights did you have and what stood out for you? As I took the test, uh, I had a couple of thoughts that kept recurring. One was, this is a really excellent way of identifying my particular adaptability skills and I could see the structure of the assessment itself. I'm obviously I'm familiar with a lot of assessments and found myself really pondering some of the questions um, because I, I looked at them and thought, you know, there are some of these that if I answer it in a work context, I'm going to answer this. If I enter, answer it in a family context, I might answer this. Um, and so that was that was really interesting. Um, generally speaking, I found the results to be incredibly accurate and the report to be very helpful in identifying where were the elements that, that I could change. I, you know, am a big fan of Carol Dweck and the growth mindset. And so the idea that I could identify specific things that I could do differently that would help make me more adaptable really struck a chord with me. And I was, I was very impressed that adaptability is obviously it's a very hot topic right now, but there's a reason that it's a very hot topic right now. And as I think about working with uh, millennials where, you know, my primary work up until this last job has been with really with, with baby boomers you know, and being in very senior positions for the last 25 or 30 years, I've been in many ways very sheltered from, from any generation beyond baby boomers. And now suddenly find myself surrounded by millennials. So, you know, and that is a form of adaptation. You know, how, how do I deal with that group differently? And so I found the, I found the assessment to be really instructive. Yeah. And for us, our, our purpose with it, you know, the like many assessments, that's the beginning, you know, that mm -hmm. gives awareness and it gives an opportunity for conversation to say what is serving me and what isn't serving me and a permission to change it. One of the frustrations I've had in many times is this uh, desire to box people and categorize people and, you know, say that we're fixed. 
I fundamentally disagree with that thought that we can't reimagine ourselves, that we can't mm-hmm. shift. You know, and there's countless scientific studies to say, oh, we can shift our conscientiousness in just two weeks following this example or, you know, this thought of what's my future self and how do I now start to behave, think, what habits do I need? What skills do I need to acquire? Who do I need to be around? You know, that will help me think differently, shift differently, behave differently. And for me, that's the beauty of AQ that it's a bit like our weight. We stand on the weighing scales, the needle tells us where it is, and that's neither good or bad till we know what the context is. What's your goal? What do you want to do? How old Mm -hmm. are you? And then you learn about nutrition and exercise and you can shift it. Similar with AQ, you know, you can learn about, you know, your mindset or mental flexibility or the impact that your team has. So in terms of going forward for companies to thrive in this exponential world where change is accelerating at such pace alongside adaptability what are some of maybe the other skills uh, that you think are really important you know whether that's creativity or communication or various things what are you seeing either inside WBEX or inside other organizations that are skills perhaps our listeners should be thinking about and considering to navigate change well I think the most important of all of those skills, in addition to adaptability, well, and resilience, you know, which is part of adaptability, is quite frankly, selectivity. We have, uh, particularly in the West, a culture that says more is better, harder is better, just I'll just work faster, I'll work longer, I'll try to shove more into the, you know, into the envelope. And I really believe that the key, even the key to successful adaptability is selectivity. It's, as as I said a while ago, step back and watch the stream go past you for a while. Not every change is one you have to accept or or work with or embrace and then move with. Um, You can choose which ones to get involved with and at what level to get involved. And there are some where you can say, yeah, I don't, I don't really choose to be on that, you know, on whatever that flow is, but I do choose to spend my energy on this flow. Uh, From a personal standpoint, I still am not on Facebook because that's a flow I just choose not to be a part of. And, and that actually has an impact on how I spend my time and my day. And I think that all of us have that ability to be selective. We do not need to be passive acceptors of the changes that are taking place, we can be active selectors yeah. of which changes we we choose to be a part of, which ones we embrace, how we embrace them, how we use them. And I think that that selectivity is probably because as the pace of change continues to increase, more and more things will be asked of us. Mm-hmm. And we truly do have some finite capacity to yeah. do that. So we're going to need to make decisions about which ones we participate in. Yeah. In a room of these, you know, uh, exercise treadmills everywhere, all in different directions, all on level 10. You know, we have to we have to select carefully where we move and what we do. Right. Absolutely. And and in any given time period, Mm -hmm. we're not going to we're not going to just triple our exercise and say, I'll spend time on every single piece of equipment doing it at the max for the max amount of time that would burn us out. I actually saw an article about um, 
Gerard Butler saying that he nearly killed himself a few years ago trying to get his body ripped for doing the 300 because yeah. he was exercising six hours a day. Well, that if we think about our mental and emotional well-being, that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, we is. can burn ourselves out trying to do too much. Yeah, I think that's a lovely place to sort of uh, leave us on is this burnout is a very real thing, especially when it's something mm -hmm. that we're passionate about when you know we have these skills of perseverance and all of these bits is that we are at risk of burnout and being able to appreciate and give space so leaders need to give the space for the rejuvenation for the pauses even in those exponential times and that is being conscious about it selective and you know making intentional choice not by naivety because you were just looking at your feet and not looking at the horizon so i think it's been just a wonderful conversation and I, I look forward to a number with you because there's such, you know, alignment of thought of how can we affect the world and our purpose mm -hmm. is to leave no one behind. So in this pace of change and where everyone is needing to adapt or choosing to adapt, making it possible that their, you know, their tomorrow is better than yesterday through their own eyes. That for me is a, a gift that we can, as you said, the legacy that's being left of uh, those things. So I want to say thank you. And if you've got any other comments and pieces, and if people want to get in touch or learn more about WBEX or pieces, where, where would they need to go, Martha? Um, pretty simply, they'd go to wbecs.com and they can actually message me at marva at wbex.com. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for, for sharing that. And I'm sure there'll be some that, that want to do it because we have quite a few coaches in our community. Not as many coaches in yours, but we're working on it. So thank you again. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Ross. It was lovely. And I um, really love that you said that everything that we do is a choice. I That is something that I live by. It's a choice. It's a choice to be grateful, to be happy. It's a choice to be anxious and unhappy. And I, um, I have a mantra that I tell people, I reserve the right to be smarter today than I was yesterday. I like that. I reserve the right to be smarter today than I was yesterday. Beautiful. Thanks, Marla. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Do you have the level of adaptability to survive and thrive the rapid changes ahead? Has your resilience got more comeback than a yo-yo? Do you have the ability to unlearn in order to reskill, upskill and break through? Find out today and uncover your adaptability profile and score, your AQ. Visit aqai.io to gain your personalized report across 15 scientifically validated dimensions of adaptability. For a limited time, enter code PODCAST65 for a complimentary AQME assessment. AQAI, transforming the way people, teams, and organizations navigate change. Thank you for listening to this episode of Decoding AQ. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast directory, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Please do leave a review, and be sure to tune in next time for more insights from our amazing guests.